Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to ranks fc it's your favorite football podcast back for another week and today we're going to be talking about the most important players most important pieces in a couple of the leading premier league teams and we wanted to get a different perspective on things so we've brought back a very very good friend of this podcast in part two we're going to be joined by mr harry brooks head coach of ranks fc to talk about those key pieces in the top five currently of the Premier League and a few more for good measure. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Um, anyone who's on Patreon knows that I was um, 
well, so ill that I was doing the podcast from bed yesterday, which was a, a new one on me. Uh, apologies, all apologies for that. Apologies for, in particular, to you um, who uh, had to live through that hour or so. But um, yeah, today I'm I'm a bit better, but now I've got an an ill five year old beside me, so that that brings its own challenges. Um, but yeah, apart from that, mate, all good, all good. I'm going to see England at the end of the week, so that'll be good. I'm going to England v Malta. Good. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited. I know you're bringing Dylan to that game. His first England game. Five years old. He's very, very excited yes. about it. So that's going to be a, a special experience for you both, I think, in, in many, many ways. We are into the international break, of course, which brings up its own kind of distinct narratives. And next week, I think it might be a good time to take a look at the early favourites for next year's Copper America, for next year's European Championships as well. They're the front runners for that. So we'll get deep into the international break next week. But for now, I think it's probably time to, to reflect a little bit. And I know we've got a couple of things we love to discuss ahead of Harry joining us in part two. Yeah, well, obviously, I've said I'm off to that England game. And um, there's another youngster who's going to be at Wembley on Friday. And it's Cole Palmer. Uh, he's got he's got the nod from Gareth Southgate. He's going to be joining up with the lads. Already has joined up with the lads. I'm just watching him actually a minute ago in training uh, with the England senior team. So this is a hell of a, a rise uh, for Cole Palmer that he's been on at the moment. And, well, I don't give too many Chelsea players too much uh, positive airtime, do I? Uh, but I'm putting all bias aside for this episode because Cole Palmer is getting a lot of adoration from me at the moment. There are not many players that really would, I don't think, would be brave enough to to leave Manchester City in the sort of position that he was in. He was getting game time. Obviously, he scored those goals in the Community Shield and the Super Cup. Um and yet he ended up leaving Manchester City. Obviously, Jeremy Doku joined Man City. And it was at that point that Chelsea decided to turn up the pressure on Man City. Say, OK, come on, name your price on Cole Palmer. He's clearly not going to get enough games for you. He'll play for us. Tell, tell us what, what you want. He ended up paying over £40 million for him. And although headlines around other signings at Chelsea made the biggest headlines over the summer, this one probably just seemed a bit odd no one could really work it was out quite last minute wasn't it why it, it felt like out of nowhere it came about and it was like oh Chelsea link with Cole Palmer. Chelsea have signed Cole Palmer there was no real build up into it it was like oh they just looked went shopped and came home there was no yeah. there was no kind of dillying and dallying around it. I think it does run deeper than that Chelsea had had a look at it earlier on in the summer obviously when uh Man City signed Kovacic there were discussions then between the two clubs and stuff and I know Chelsea admired Cole Palmer. I just don't think they ever really knew if he would become available. But he fitted with the profile of where the club was heading. And they let Man City know that if there becomes a, an opportunity here, we want to sign Cole Palmer. And then when it came down to it in that last week after Doku had joined City and Chelsea kind of turned up the pressure, um, they just decided they weren't going to really take no for an answer, I think. And, and Palmer became interested by it. And... It was just one of those transfers that that creeps under the radar, and none, no journalists really get a sniff of it. Really, anyone in the football world seemed to have a sniff of it. Uh, but Chelsea did like him. They went after him. They couldn't believe that they were getting him. And that forty forty two million pound valuation that they end up paying actually looks like pretty good value now. And Chelsea delighted about the fact they managed to snatch this lad away from Man City. He settled really well into London life. Someone I speak to at Chelsea says that he is 
a very calm lad, supremely professional, especially given he's 21 and he's just moved away from Manchester and his family for the first time. He's adapted to his new life very quickly. You can see on the pitch, he shows confidence, even some arrogance in the way that he, he plays, in the way that he demands the ball, demands that he takes penalties. I think it's really impressive. He could play as a 10, could play as an 8, um, could play really in various positions across that front line, but I think we've all seen that he's probably most I, dangerous. I don't think I'd like him all that much as an 8, I'll be honest. Well, I believe he can be that. That 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 is what that is part of his, um, of his development. Bernardo Silva route, is it? Yeah, I don't think we'll see him there anytime soon for Chelsea, but obviously the most clear comparisons you would draw from what he was um, learning at Man City were probably a Riyad Mahrez type player, how he, he cuts inside and he's got this well, sweet, sweet execution of a ball that, that can swerve towards that far corner. And you can see in his penalty taking too, he's just, he's just a brilliant technician of the ball. But yeah, things have gone so well for him this season that he's now got the England call-up. And I can't wait to see how he settles into that environment. I mean, he's probably got a decent chance of getting on the pitch, given that they're playing Malta and North Macedonia in this break. And yeah, I'm going to the England game on Friday. I think there's a decent chance I'll end up seeing Cole Palmer in the pitch making his his, uh, England debut. So yeah, as I say, not often I give uh, uh, Chelsea players too much praise, but this lad... Absolutely deserves it, and Chelsea have struck gold. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting time. Obviously, I'd be intrigued to see what Raheem Sterling thinks about this because he's obviously been excluded, and now his his young teammate across the other side of the pitch has has basically taken his spot. In, in, in well, he's a big ways. admirer of Cole Palmer, and obviously he would have been still sounded out to be there. You'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, he would have been sounded out over Chelsea even signing Palmer, so he'd, he'd have played his part in that. Um, there has to be there has to be reasons as to why Sterling's not in the squad now beyond football because it just doesn't make any sense as to as to why on form he would not be in that in that setup. It's just ridiculous. The other thing that I was intrigued by in this England call up is Esri Concer, who has been long overdue, I think, an England call up in, in many ways. He's been brilliant for Aston Villa for a long time now and he's he's earned this spot and uh, with his performances. But Esri Concer, although he played for the England youth setups, wasn't always guaranteed to play for England. I believe he could have represented Portugal as well. And actually, a couple of years back, I remember thinking about this and going, Concer would be a really good partner for Ruben Dias. Also, Antonio Silva's come through. Obviously, there's Gonzalo Inacio. So there's a lot of youngsters and, or young defenders who are, are starting to emerge in Portugal to be part of this national setup. But I did think that Portugal might push for this because I thought, that alongside Diaz, they might like, work very well as a partnership. So I'm intrigued the fact that he's made that first step up to, to the England setup now and whether he gets minutes or not, I suppose is a, is a different question. But I think it's long overdue and, and well-deserved for Esri Concer because he has, he has been brilliant every, almost, almost every time he's played for Aston Villa. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets an opportunity. I think it's always more risky to play a, a defensive player um, when they're coming through. Um, kind of saw that with Tottenham at the weekend. I think, you know, they, they had a couple of 18-year-olds that could have come into their defensive crisis um, in uh, Alfie Dorrington and Ashley Phillips. And you saw that immediately they, they decide to play Ben Davies there instead. And I think even if Davies wouldn't have played there, they'd have gone for Hoybier. So with defensive players... Managers are always less likely to take a risk, but this is still a good a good learning curve for him and a good chance to get involved in it all. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, just before we move on to our main segment, I just wanted to talk briefly about Girona because there are hot starts, right? And then there are starts that you start to be like, hmm, you're going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. And look, depth is a question mark, et cetera, et cetera, fine. But I saw this from a friend of the pod, Zach Lowy, recently at the weekend. He said, Girona have as many points, 34, after 13 games, as the best Barcelona tally under Pep Guardiola from actually 13 in 2010-11, the best Atleti tally under Diego Simeone, 2013-14, and the best Real Madrid tally under Jose Mourinho, 2011-2012. We've got to a point now where I think we're beyond, wow, what an incredible start for Girona, and now being in like, they're seriously in contention, if not for the title, because we have that question mark over depth, fine, but definitely in the Champions League conversation. And that is a hell of a rise for this football club. And look, people are going to point to the fact that they're part of the City Football Group and go, look, money attracts money, et cetera, et cetera. But they haven't actually spent all that much money is, is what I would be kind of aiming at here. And look, they've obviously benefited from certain transfers that have been within the group. And you look at the kind of different elements of this. They they signed Savio, who's been brilliant, on loan from Troyes, who are also part of the group. Yanga Herrera came in from Manchester City, as did Jan Koto, won permanently and, and Koto on loan. And then they've also signed Eric Garcia and Pablo Torre from Barcelona. They're not part of the City football group, obviously. But if I'm not mistaken, Pep Guardiola's brother has a pretty significant stake in Girona and has a, has a controlling influence. So you can see how they're utilizing contacts, but they've been more than that. And I think that that's very important to, to kind of look at originally, you know, they signed Tati Castellanos of, of New York city FC as well last year, but he moved on to Lazio, but the, the rest of their kind of transfers haven't been that flashy, brazen, bold, all of those things. They've spent around 3 million net which is pretty impressive. And you kind of look at what they're doing with the players that have come in. You know, Eric Garcia's in here. Deli Blin's in here, fine. But they've also got Ana Martinez and Miguel Gutierrez, who are both brilliant young defenders, capable of tucking inside, making this kind of system work from, from defence. And when you kind of look at the players they also brought in, Victor Shankov, who was a really interesting signing, someone we highlighted in the summer, Alex Garcia, who's probably been the best midfielder in La Liga so far this season behind Jude Bellingham, was a free signing. You know, he came back to the club. He's had a bit of a bouncy career. He was at Villarreal. City snapped him up. He went off on loan to Girona and to Muscron. And then he signed for a Romanian side in Dinamo Bucharest. And then he went to A-Bar for a year, didn't do much, and Girona picked him up for free. And since then, he's been absolutely sensational in this side. And when you look at what the performances he's dropping this season and the confidence that they have in the middle of the pitch, it's just incredible to watch. And I think that their manager, Michelle, who has had a really strange career, he kept nearly getting sides promoted from the Segunda and then getting sacked like right towards the end of it. This is the longest he's ever been in a job. And they play such exciting, incredible, fun football I don't think anyone's come from behind as many times as Girona this season. They keep winning like 5-2. They're a bit chaotic, but equally they have so many different states of games that they're able to, to play through to make things interesting. I just love watching them. And at this point in the season, 
there comes a time where you have to stop being like, well, what start? They'll fall off and start being like, hang on. Are they right up there in the conversation? And I think we've got to that point. And so I wanted to give them some flowers because they've done some incredible business. They've brought in some really interesting footballers um, and they're a heap of fun to watch at every opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, basically, I've just got to the point where the thing I love at the moment is watching Girona play football. And, you know, there's a new Catalan power rising, perhaps. Maybe not enough to actually dislodge Barcelona from the top of the tree. And look, you'd imagine that this does project doesn't have enough weight behind it to be able to make sure that these players stick around. There are going to be big moves for these players. There's going to be interest in Michel as a manager because of what he's done this season. But just kind of looking at them at the moment, I'm just enjoying it while it lasts. And it's heaps of fun. So yeah, shout out Girona. They're the thing I love right now. I mean, I think they continue to fly under the radar, really. I mean, when you um, look across Europe and you just discuss like success stories so far, I think generally like people would talk more about Bundesliga and the fact that Bayer Leverkusen are heading that up. And like maybe it's because Xavi Alonso's the manager. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Um, but that gets spoken about a lot more than I think the fact that Girona are top of La Liga. And more than that, I think... I reckon your average football fan couldn't name you two Girona players. Um, and again, if you could compare that to Bayer Leverkusen this season, I think that would be different. I think there would be a chance that people would know more players from the Bayer Leverkusen team. So look, both these teams are doing brilliantly this season in, in terms of like where they're pitching at and what they might be capable of now. But yeah, I think Girona is a success story unfolding that, yeah, could be of the ages, mate. I mean... I don't watch it anywhere near as much as them as you do because you know, one, I focus more on the Premier League, but two, when I do watch La Liga, it's to make sure I'm seeing Barcelona and Real Madrid and then the others fall into place after that. But I know that you love you love watching Girona and you do have, I don't know if you believe that they could win La Liga, but the fact that they're up no. there at this point means that they, they can qualify for that top four for sure. I, yeah, I, I, we don't know how injuries affect them. But look, anyone can take a run. If, if things fall your way, ask Leicester City, right? So it, it's not it's not impossible, but I think that maybe the depth will catch up with them. But yeah, for now, I'm just enjoying watching them. And that's the thing I love. Right, I think that's probably about it for our first segment. After the break, we're going to be joined by the brilliant, as ever, Harry Brooks, who's going to be talking us through the MVPs for the top five in the Premier League and a few more that go anywhere. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, an infant formula company on a mission to get a lot closer to the most super superfood on the planet. Breast milk. Our patented protein blend has more of the important and most abundant proteins actually found in breast milk. We're the first and only U.S.-made formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. We even conducted the largest clinical trial by a new infant formula company in a quarter century with clinically proven benefits like easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus a leading infant formula. And we make our own formula in the USA and our very own factories in Iowa, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. 
Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined once more by our head coach. Welcome back, Mr. Harry Brooks. How you doing, mate? I'm really good. Thanks, guys. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. All is well. The football season very much alive and kicking, I think, after the last couple of weeks that yeah. we've seen. Absolute I'm excited, chaos. Harry. I'm excited yeah. about discussing this. Last time we had you on, we were talking about Tottenham's good start. A little bit of a stumble, but generally, I think things tend to be going pretty well. Yeah. At, I was going to say at White Hart Lane, but it's not that anymore, is it? It's Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But it's it's been an interesting campaign. And, and today we're going to take a look at some of the sort of MVP candidates for firstly the top five in the Premier League and then a little bit more broadly around this. And I think what's interesting about this is that sometimes you get a player that's, you know, obviously like an Erling Haaland who scored all the goals for for Manchester City last season, but not necessarily the player that's actually the most instrumental to the way that the team operates. And I think that's what we're going to dig into a bit more today. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in, listen, there's no rules to it, but generally speaking, I think the most important um thing that a coach has to find in terms of tactical and things like that and player profiles is how are you going to score goals? Um, How are you going to win games? So, you know, that would usually allude to the one that scores the goals. But, you know, it's not always as simple as that because, okay, let's say, for example, we'll get onto it in a bit. You've got Erling Haaland, but let's say he wasn't there. Would Man City still find a way to score a ton of goals and still win enough games? Then yes, probably. Now, they'll probably do that with any player, but it's not as simple as... um, okay, he gets all the goals, so therefore he's the most important. There's a lot more nuance to it than that for each situation. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, looking at the at, at the top five at the moment, there's a lot of variety in there. I think, I don't think any of the, the suggestions we've got would shock people, but I think there's uh, definitely conversations to be had around um, pretty much all of them. So, yeah, um, that would be good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. And we'll start at five. 
many people's shock of the Premier League season so far. Unai Emery's Aston Villa continue their seemingly inexorable rise up the table. It's 13 games they've won on the spin at Villa Park now. And it's been a very, very impressive campaign. Now, there have obviously been blips in it. And we've seen, you know, results that perhaps you weren't expecting. The, the loss against Forest, for example. But generally, across the course of it, Villa have been incredibly solid. Who have you picked out from Villa as the kind of key key man? Yeah, I've picked out Ollie Watkins. And to sort of go on what you said with regards to Villa, I, I completely agree. So I just think that what Unai Emery is so good at and what he's done, he just makes you so sturdy in across the team. So your attack is so solid and consistent. You're... You know, when you're being counted on, you you're it, it is so difficult for teams to stop them, and so difficult for teams to get at them. When you've got, say, a team like, let's say Tottenham, you know, when when they, they go hell for leather, so they probably there's more of a chance of them, you know, battering a team, but yet they can have that element of like looseness or openness, which I just don't get the feeling of with Villa. I know they lost the first game of the season to Newcastle by quite a big scoreline, but that can happen. But generally speaking, I don't. Um, get that feeling of openness with Villa and an Emery team. Um, they're so well balanced. And yeah, I think the one that spearheads it, Ollie Watkins, is fantastic because he's one of those strikers that even if he doesn't score, he allows the team to play really well. He allows his other attackers to function. Um, he's got so much variety to his game. It's, all, it's not always the most aesthetic. It's not always the most clean. It's not always the most... Um, incisive in terms of finishing but it is so effective and it is very much um, square pegs square holes in terms of what so many managers want from their forward um, with regards to winning football games so have they is, can he run the channels yes can he play back to goal yes can he get in behind yes can he find you know movement inside the box can he bring other players into play is, is that all-round approach where it's like fantastic I can put you in my team and we can build around that and you know he went on an amazing scoring streak last year um, I don't think he has that next level. And when I say next level, I'm talking the Harry Kane's and the Harlands of the world. I don't think he has that next level um, goal scoring instinct with regards to how he finishes and the numbers he gets. I think that if he does get good numbers, it will be in spurts. But again, he's the kind of player where even if you get 10 to 12 goals a year, which I'd expect him to get more, but even if he does get that, um, he's still going to make the rest of the team play better. Um, you could speak about Douglas Louise. Aston Villa has been fantastic. Uh, Diaby's had a good start, but I just think Ollie Watkins is the one that the one that spearheads it, the one that makes the attack so whole. Um, it allows the ball to stick. It means there's always a threat there. Uh, works all day. You know, run um, works the entire defence. Yeah, so I think I think for Aston Villa, um, without Ollie Watkins, that would be a big hole to fill. I think what you're saying there about the off the ball stuff, Harry, is really really crucial because. Actually, we've seen in different elements of, of kind of the way that Emery sets up that he expects goals to come from from various places and he expects mm. to be able to to shift his team around. But he's often worked with kind of non-traditional strikers. Now, mm. you can look at that Villarreal side and say, all right, Gerard Moreno was there and Billy Deer was there. But actually, there were lots of games where he played Giovanni Lo Celso as part of a front two. There were games where he played Dan Juma as his kind of out-and-out out number nine. And it's something that we've kind of come to expect from him. Now, Watkins started as a winger, or at least at, at, there were times in that Brentford season where you were like, okay, he's coming off and drifting off that wing and, and making a difference in those channels. And actually, when you look at this front two of, of Watkins and Diaby, now, obviously, there are other players that come into the mix here. your Zaniolos, your Leon Baileys. But again, we're looking at non-traditional number nines, if you will. And Watkins is the closest that, 
Emery has to a number nine, but there's a very specific type of channel runner that he likes. And it's because of the way that they open up the game yeah. for other people. Yeah. And that's, I think, what the, the key is with Watkins. It's not just that, okay, he does put the ball in the back of the net a lot and opportunities that fall to him tend to end up in the back of the net more often than not. But equally, when you kind of have this opportunity, he opens up space for someone like McGinn. There's a reason that Douglas Louise has gone on such a brilliant goal-scoring run for Villa this season. And it's because of the movements that the Watkins opens up and the fouls that he draws and the penalties that he draws and all of yeah. these things yeah. tie into it. He's really good at splitting the opposition and Aston Villa have a few, in terms of off-the-ball runs, and Aston Villa have a few players that are good at that. John McGinn is really good at that. Um, you know, and I think those players that split the opposition, but now what they've got, which they maybe didn't have at times last year, they've now got incredible ball carriers in the likes of Diaby and uh, Bailey uh, that could hit you so... And Zaniolo, I know he hasn't maybe hit the ground completely running, but, you know, um, players that can really hit you into those gaps aggressively and then have the power and the the athleticism to 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 recover the position. And I just think they are... They're a very, very formidable side um, and Watkins spearheads that. And I would... Uh, I would say that at the moment, I'll probably put them just about fav... Then will Spurs for top four, I would say, at the moment. It depends on how Spurs deal with the injuries. Um, but I think they're that good. I think they're that solid a unit. I think they're that well-balanced as a team. Um, and for me, Ollie Watkins is the one spearheading that. Yeah, I mean, the depth is there as well, which I think is, yep. which is important, perhaps, in, in, in a way that we haven't quite seen yet for, for Spurs. But they have built a very, very good side. And yeah. it's a weird one. We talk about top four still. And mm. yeah, it very much might be a top five for the Yeah, Champions I know, I know. That, which and, is and that's why crazy. I it was interesting to do five today because yeah. it, it might be these ones. And you're looking at the clubs that are yeah. currently looking in at that and we're going, oh, okay, Man United are outside it, Newcastle are outside yeah. it, Chelsea have seemingly turned a the corner. They're, they're a while back in this division. So mm. there's, there's a lot of interesting bits to come, I think, regarding that fifth spot and what it might look like. Yeah, 100%. Um, but, but yeah, I agree that I think the Villa at the moment look very, very good, very strong and, and look like they're comfortable competing on the multiple fronts, which is something that maybe you can't say for everyone else. But let's move on yeah. to Spurs, shall we? Yeah. So Spurs, obviously, they had, a, they had a fantastic start to the season. And then as a lot of people probably predicted correctly, that um, the the they were surviving on their first 11, 12, maybe 13 players. Um I don't think many people probably predicted five major absences all in one game, um, but that's the way it's gone. But I think what you'll find is with how Spurs want to play, probably the wrong time to be saying this after, you know, he was the major culprit in Spurs losing versus Chelsea, but I'd go as far as say Christian Romero is the most important player for how this Spurs team want to play because I believe the way Ange plays there are so many avenues to scoring goals so yes Sun is an amazing inbox striker in terms of finishing and finding those little gaps and yards but I do believe even without him Spurs would find ways to score I believe that even without Madison as important as he is yes they'd be worse but I think they'd find ways to create chances because I believe the coaching is that good but a big facilitator in all of that is that having someone like Romero allows the entire unit, midfield, defence and attacking unit to keep going on the front foot and to press, press, press on the ball and off the ball. When I say press, I mean even like pressing with the ball in terms of like relentless, like going again and again and again. Um, and then obviously off the ball. But what you saw in the game versus Wolves is, listen, Dyer's had a fantastic career at Tottenham, 
but he's someone that has that little bit of hesitation that perhaps isn't as much on the front foot. And then when it's that going back that way, now there's that gap in between those lines there. The midfield get dragged back and then the forward line gets dragged further back. And then it's harder to keep the ball and create chance because you maybe haven't got a Madison on the pitch now. So it just, it has that, um, that snowball effect of everything. Not having Romero makes you, yes, a lot weaker defensively, but it makes you a lot weaker going forward as well because you just cannot push the same way with the players that Spurs currently have. Now, listen, if Spurs signed a centre-half in in January, someone like a Shalaba who could come in, then I would say, okay, Romero is no longer the most important player because if he doesn't play, then they've got a good deputy that can um, that suits what they're trying to do. But without that, without that person from the back pushing everything else forward, it just leaves too much of a separation, too many splits in the team off the ball and on the ball, and it makes it very difficult. And a team that's, you know, been so on the front foot for the entirety of this season was very much a lot of it with Wolves feeling like they were hanging on. And, you know, it wasn't a surprise that they lost by two. I know two goals in that time is unlikely, but it wasn't a major surprise because you could see it coming. And I think had Romero have been there, it would have allowed everyone else to just keep pushing five yards forward, 10 yards further forward, on and off the ball. So I would say that, listen, had a... Stinker versus Chelsea in terms of his approach to the game. But um, before that, and I think currently what you're seeing right now, he is the most important player for, for Tottenham Hotspur at is this current that, time. Is that as well because of what he's been able to develop with, with Van der Ven? I mean, oh, yeah, 100%, after, 100%. I mean, you see after Luton game, like they were absolutely raving about the performance yeah. and, and that combination being talked about, like, hang on, does Spurs suddenly have the best centre-back pairing in the Premier League. Now, Van der Ven, we didn't know how quickly it would take him to get up to speed, but they do complement each other well, don't they? They complement really, really well. And, you know, a, a lot of people believe in this sort of cat-dog approach. Um, one defender being a dog, one being a cat. So what they mean by that is one is really aggressive, Romero the dog, one is Pat Monson, more of a cat. I, I don't believe in that. I believe that a good centre-back should know when to push, when to drop. But there's no question that the dynamic right now is that Romero is more of the typical aggressor and Van der Ven is the one that's already ready to sort of go back and cover him behind and you've seen that so many I mean that's where the hamstring went um, but you've seen that so many games already this year where Van der Ven is able to, to sweep him behind now perhaps Romero's aggressive nature wouldn't work as well if there was a centre-back next to him that couldn't do that so I think the partnership is huge I think the goalkeeper behind him is huge I think the whole the whole collective has been huge for it the whole collective has allowed Romero to to show how good he is but I do think he's the 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 the, the springboard for so much is there a worry that Romero is Tottenham's most important player? Because, you know, we've seen various things. And look, I'm just going to read out a couple of like, headlines, basically, from across this season. And obviously, at the start of the year, I saw Matt Barlow write in the Daily Mail a couple of, you know, this is a month ago, Christian Romero goes from rash to rock. And then we saw Ange Postacoglu kind of call him a rock. And he, he talked about the fact that Lionel Messi thinks that Romero is the best defender in the world. And then suddenly, you know, you're seeing after the Chelsea game that, Andy Townsend speaking about the fact that saying he's been playing outstandingly well, but he has that red mist that can go in a split second and it's capable of ruining a season. And there's this kind of feeling, I suppose, that if your most important player, and I, I say that in inverted commas because I think that everyone will have a different opinion on that. Yeah, especially with Tottenham Hotspur, yeah. If your most important player is capable of both the sublime and the ridiculous and often does both in the same game, you know, he was lucky mm. not to be sent off for kicking out of Colwell early in, in that Chelsea game and then, you know, takes that kind of liberty and being like, oh, I was given a reprieve there and then goes and gets sent off for a second challenge. 
and look, this isn't. If this was a one-off, I think I'd be sitting here going, "All right, everyone has, everyone makes these mistakes. That's fine." Mm. But Romero has form for this, right? And so, if your most important player is someone who has form for letting the red mist descend, is there a worry that that's something capable of derailing Tottenham season? I mean, it could be, but I, I think that's a little bit overblown, to be honest. I think that. You know, narrative. It's not maybe not a narrative, but you know that 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 positive affirmation in terms of people have an idea about something, and then they only have to see one example of that, and it will go back to here he does it again. Whereas I actually think Romero's timing of jewels. I don't think he is reckless at all. I think his timing is immaculate. 99% of the time, he's just so aggressive with it. Now, okay, you're going to get the odd timing wrong now and again. But this time when you get the timing wrong, because you're so aggressive, it looks worse than what it potentially is. Um, I think that the, the, the one thing I would have with Romero is that um, I think there's perhaps a bit of petulance in him, which is like the Levi Cole will kick out. Um, that's not aggression, that's petulance. But then again, how often has that been a problem for, for Tottenham Hotspur when he's got on a, a red card for something completely unnecessary? I think you take, I think you, you, you take what you get. You know, his his assertiveness and his and his and his dominance is what makes him a huge reason of what makes him someone that Messi's called the best centre half in the world. I think another one of his teammates did it as well. Rodrigo de Paul, I think, said it. I can't, no, I can't remember. Um, you know, they're not saying that for no reason. It's part of what makes him so good. But like we said, because it is so aggressive, if there's that one time when you perhaps get it time, it's slightly wrong. It looks like you're out of control, but I don't think he is. I think he times 99% of jewels immaculately. Um, but I think people have got this image in his head that he's reckless. And I, I, I just don't see that with him. I don't. I know. And listen, people can bring up the date that the stats and said he's had more sending offs than anyone else in the Premier League. I think since he's joined. Okay, fine. I mean, someone has to have that stat. So, yeah, you could say it's an issue, but I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's an issue right now because Spurs don't have any tangible depth right now that can come in for him. You know, if Spurs signed a centre half in January that was able to cover him, it wouldn't seem as bad because you know you've got. But it's because the cha- the team changes so much without him in there. I think that's why there's that question you asked, Jack. Um, but I would still go as far to say, in terms of what Spurs want to do and achieve, um, I think he's the one that's, you know, governing in it from the back. Yeah, fair. Absolutely. All righty, let's flip over to the other side of North London. Arsenal currently in third, 27 points, a single point above Tottenham. It's been an interesting campaign. It's had, again, ups and downs. Um, but Arsenal, I think, have been relatively impressive throughout the, the course of this one. There'll be a, this is another one where everyone will have a different opinion on who the key person in the Arsenal setup is. Now, I think Mikel Arteta probably believes it's Bukayo Saka because he seems to want nobody else in that role. Uh, you know, they're yeah. like, oh, here's all the other options. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to play a half-injured yeah. Saka instead. Yeah. But I think that it's probably up for debate. Yeah, I would say in 99% of teams the difference making mag- magic player the 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 one that is the I'm the man player is the one that is the most important and that is Bakayo Saka and I'll probably be saying a very different thing in in a year's time but I think Saliba again he is just so dominant in what he does and I think that where Arsenal have been so so good this year their out-of-possession play has been phenomenal. And I think it has been for a while, to be honest. I think it was last year. Um, if it, it, they, they, You just get the feeling that wherever a team has the ball on the pitch, wherever they've wherever they've won it deep, won it high, whatever it is, 
they just seem like they're crowded out by Arsenal players. Um, they're out, but without it being like, you know, without it being um, uh, chaotic or, or rash, you know, if even if they break that press, there seems to be another swarm of players behind them. It feels like there's never any space. And I think Saliba's dominance at the back is such a huge part of that. And I think the way that Arteta plays, he's very, very pattern-based. And of course, Saka is a huge element of that. But when you're so pattern-based, you're not always as reliant on the singular individual to, to make it happen because you are instructing the team to do certain actions at certain times. And it is vital that the players are able to do those actions, um, but Arsenal have a lot of players that are able to do that. So I would say that even without Saka, I wouldn't say Arsenal win the league. I don't think they will anyway, but I would still back them to to, to get top four um, pretty, don't want to say comfortably, but I would be shocked if they didn't. Mm. Without Saliba, I'm not saying they wouldn't get top four, but I think that a lot of, I think that that would be a massive hole that teams can now split through and open up and it, and you're just not going to be as controlled and as dominant off the ball. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a phrase I use to describe a lot of the best plays and that's controlled aggression and Saliba was the one that gave me that, that, that that saying a few years ago and it was the same Tetti and I, I didn't know how to describe it. He just like, he was so dominant, but not in a reckless way. He just looked in control of everything. It's okay, I'll do this. And I think he typifies that. Um, I think he's a top five centre-back in the world. Um, I, I think he's immense. And I think that you saw last year when he wasn't in the team, that, that it wasn't a coincidence that they had a, a, a their downfall coincided with Saliba missing. Now, again, I think that if you said Saliba or or Saka, there's an argument for either of them, and I could make a very good argument for it being Saka, but I just think that Arsenal would be more in trouble if Saliba wasn't there. Yeah, um, one of the interesting things that people always make to me on, on ranks and questions we get is how to watch defenders. Like, I think it's hard to give defenders as much praise as they deserve mm. because it's more difficult to identify exactly what they're doing that is so good. Could you give us some sort of insight from your like coaching background as to when we're watching a game, when we're watching Saliba, for example, you talk about out of possession as well, like, you know, when they're setting up, like what, how do you figure out whether Saliba, for example, is having such a good game? I think that there's no rules to it. Everyone has their different styles and there's no one correct style for it. I would, again, I think that, again, the phrase is controlled aggression. So, you know, if you imagine like you're like, best way to say it is uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that play FIFA and you know when the player had the ball you'd have like a circle around the player now if you imagine that like Saliba's circle of influence is like massive anything in and around and near him is just he's just in control of every action every even so much so that he's now allowing his teammates to be more in control I think that's what it is they are just in complete control it's almost like You've got a brick wall there that is immovable. Um, and that can be done in a different ways. Um, it could be done on the ball. It could be done off the ball. It just feels like no matter what the team throws at them, no matter, they, they can't they can't break through him. And, you know, and, and that goes with stuff on the ball as well. They can press him all you want. He's, he's going to be calm. He's not going to lose it. He's going to do what is required. I just think it's that, that area of influence is just so big with Saliba. And players like that, I think that's what I'll be looking for. It's not so much in terms of, I don't think it's a, I don't think you break it down into stats and data. You know, yes, okay, you can look at them and they could be a good indicator. But 
you know, there, there's, 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 when I used to play centre back, I wasn't the biggest. So I used to, I used to purposely make sure the striker couldn't win the aerial duel um, cleanly. So on the data, it probably looks like my aerial percentage is really, really low. But actually, how many of those aerial duels I lost were actually effective for my team, if you see what I mean. Now, so I don't think it's thing of like looking at specific data or a stat. If you look at the the player overall and look at the, the, the area of control they have, is it rash? Is it loose? Is it chaotic? Is it on the edge? Or are they just that the, the best just have that aggression, but they're just so controlled of it. And again, that's what I think Romero has, but they think he seems to be reckless. I don't. I think it's very controlled as aggression. It's just very aggressive. Um, but Saliba is, is, is cool as a cucumber, cool as a cucumber. And he just takes charge of every situation. Um, yeah, if he's if you're going one v one against him, I wouldn't fancy uh, my odds. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I would fancy mine either. He is a Rolls Royce of a defender. I think you're right. It feels like almost an aura, right? Yeah, there's something. Yeah, about that's him. a good you're way to say it. And going, yeah. Wow, and everyone else looks at that and goes, "Oh, I can feed off that, and it increases my capabilities, and I can take a little bit more of a risk because I know for a fact that there's this bloke behind me." It's a little bit what like what Virgil van Dijk was when he walked into Liverpool and changed the aura of that defensive unit. And it was like, suddenly it was like, oh, it doesn't matter. We can take more risk. We're allowed to leave gaps because we know mm-hmm. the Virgil will, will clean them up. Sweep it up. I think, yeah. it, I think it's very similar with Saliba in, in, in many ways. The only kind of question mark I would, I would go with, with that is that obviously Arsenal, and I think you're right in that there isn't loads of depth, but Ben White can slot into those zones. We've seen mm-hmm. Kivior come in and, and play okay. There's a little bit more depth in the Arsenal back line than perhaps there was a little while ago. Yeah. And I, I suppose when we're talking about, when we were talking about Romero, part of it was about the lack of depth behind. And and then mm. maybe up to this weekend and or, or up to the last couple of days, I would have maybe made the argument that Gabby Jesus was probably in this conversation just because it feels mm. that when he's not there, Arsenal drop off so much in terms of the way that their attack links. Now Trossard's mm. come in last two games, played a little bit more like the style of Jesus and been able to link and dovetail and move around with those front three. But that drop-off from Jesus, I think, and it's why Arsenal are continually linked with strikers, as, as Dean's been talking about for the last thing in the in the January window, it just feels like when he's not available, and you know, his greatest fault is that he's often not available, is that they drop so much off in those attacking quarters when Jesus isn't on the pitch. I think that's a really good argument. I think with Jesus, he's such a funny one because I think Saka will get there and you could say he's already there. But I think that what Arsenal lack is just that that extra player that goes above game state, that goes above team play, um, and that can just be like, if it's nil-nil, I'll grab the goal. I know Saka's got his moments when he does that, but I'm talking about the player that you... You can guarantee to be twenty plus goals a year. You, the the, the t- genuine world superstars, the ones that will go above what the game is doing. And I think Saka is getting there. He's very close to getting there. I don't think he's quite there yet, but I think he will be. And I think that because Arsenal perhaps don't have enough of those where they're just going to guarantee, you know, the certain number of like threats no matter what. I think that's where Jesus can be underappreciated because, as you said, Arsenal's attack looks so much more fluid with him in it. His link play in and around the box is absolutely exceptional. His close control play, his tight control play around the box is exceptional. Um, but because he perhaps isn't that, again, killer, where I'll just go win the game myself, then he gets a, a lot of stick because he's not that, but Arsenal don't have that in other areas. So I think if they just had that one extra player that was like, well, 
fine, you guys can build it, you guys can do this. But if I want to go in a run with 30 yards with the ball and crash into sort of corner, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and I think that that is why perhaps players like Jesus aren't as appreciated as much. But I think, yeah, I, I think you can make a good argument for that. Um, again, I would just still, even without Jesus, without Saka, I would still back Arsenal. I would back Arsenal to win most games anyway. They're a very good team. But I think that, I think losing Saliba would be a bit more of a catastrophe in terms of approach and what he offers. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, talking of players who can run 40 yards and, and crash it into the top corner, should we move on to Liverpool? Yeah, this is yeah the easiest one. Mo Salah is phenomenal what he keeps doing. He is the kind of player that I speak about that every team in the world would want to have in terms of building their team around. It's that one player... And it does have to be a position thing. I mean, it's that one player that's like, okay, whatever the game state is, whatever the, the the style of play is, whatever's going on at this moment, I can go above that and I can be the one to to um, to go and make the difference. Whether it's again cutting inside and wrap, and wrapping it far corner, he just has so many ways he can do it. He goes above game state, he goes above above team play at times, and he just gets it done and. Those are those players are absolute gold dust. They are the most important players to find in football if you can find one somewhere. Um, and that is that is that is what I was speaking about earlier in terms of if you have that player, then it'd be hard pushed to find a more important player in the team. And yeah, for me, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Mo Salah. Um, I mean, what he continues to do is just phenomenal. You know, you you could you could have if you had a magic if you were to, you know if you had a magic eight ball and you said Liverpool are going to be. Um, are going to concede three goals in the next game, you'd still go, yeah, but they have Mo Salah. It could be four to Liverpool, you know, and he's just got that about him. And mm. I think that when he leaves, in terms of quality, uh, what he gives, but also aura and presence and importance to the club, that is going to be a, a tough player to replace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's impossible to replace, but I mean... The way that Salah's playing is not the same as it was a couple of seasons ago. No. I mean, he he's not as direct in his running. He's not as probably hasn't got the same pace. You know, no. he's he's had to alter his game in the past two seasons for sure, which makes it even more incredible actually yeah. that he's still got this level of output, doesn't it? Because you know, if you looked at last season and assessed Mo Salah's performances compared to previous seasons, like the actual performance level was not there in, mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah. But it was still there because the numbers were still so high. Yeah. It's like, as, you, as I said, Dean, it's like, no matter what is going on, no matter how the team is playing, no matter how he's playing, whether he's got to do it one way or another, he'll do it. He'll get it done no matter what. Obviously, no, no matter what, obviously, you know, he's not going to win every single game for Liverpool. But, right. you know, it, that, that, that point of like, okay, so you said, yeah, and you're right, he's not perhaps driving with it as much as he used to could have lost that that little bit of speed perhaps he's been not figured out but perhaps teams have been so determined to stop that happening so he's fine okay fine well I'll just find another way to do it then and I'll just get that done whether it's more off the ball runs in behind whether it's a bit more of a, a shift and shoot quickly and around the but whatever it could be and he just has that about him that he'll find those solutions to win you the games and that is that if you can have that one player in in your team build the rest around that, make sure the attack functions, how he is served. And yeah, he is, he is the, he is what makes it, obviously it's not just one man team at all. Klopp is very much, all of his Klopp's teams is all about the, 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 the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. But um, I think Salah gives Liverpool a, a tangible chance of winning the league this year. 
Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I also really like this relationship he's built with Darwin. And look, Darwin yeah. is a controversial figure at the best of times. But yeah. actually, when you look at the way that they play together, I think every single one of Darwin's eight assists for Liverpool have been for Mo Salah, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And mm-hmm. they've created the most chances between themselves and assisted each other the most times in the Premier League this season. I think Salah set Nunez up once and, and Nunez has set Salah up four times for, for goals. So that's a pretty you know, Im- impressive statistic in itself. But when you work out that, you know, Darwin hasn't actually played all that many games or hasn't started all that many games, should we say, for Liverpool, that relationship that they've built and the way that they're starting to develop a partnership is so crucial to the way that, you know, as you say, it's about making things happen in the final third. And Salah is finding new ways to do that. And actually the fact that he is able to to strike up a new partnership with a player that's come in who's not been universally praised, I think, since since he's come through the door at Liverpool. But to build that and be like, nope, I trust this guy. We have a, a thing that works together. Gives them so many, you know, different options. And you look at this Liverpool quintet up front, right, of Salah, Darwin, Jota, Hakpo. It's just like, cool. There's so much going on here that you can be like, there's no point worrying about where the goals are going to come from. But Salah still feels like the main part, right? Yeah, he does. And yeah, you know, if if Nunes got 5% more composure, they'd win the league by 20 bloody points. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I like the relationship they're building there. It's very, it's it's like a battering ram. It's like you can do all you want to stop it, but good luck. We're going to get those chances and it's down to us to take them. And Salah, more times than not, you'd certainly back to, to take them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take it on to City, who lead the league by a point. I mean, I've uh, I've got to say two. I've got to say two. I've got to say Haaland and Rodri, um, because you just cannot ignore the goals. And I'm going to let you be the. the I'm going to get you, you guys decide who it is out of these two, actually. Um, <laughs> but you just you can't you can't you can't ignore those goals and that threat because where Man City are so dominant, they want to control everything. We know all this on and off the ball. All it's going to be is one moment where the opposition sleeps and Haaland will exploit. Like, you've got to be on it the entire game to to survive it. And even if you are, you don't always have to do that. Now, I do think that he is very single. I do think that he's very um, specific in his approach. I don't think he's got a lot of variety to his game. But again, it's not necessarily... Yeah, I mean, it hasn't exactly been an issue for City so far. So I do think there are certainly ways that you can stop him um, in terms of like, you know, you, you you block the service into him if possible. You 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 defend the zones in his box that he wants to attack and get there first if possible. So you've seen some players do a really good job on him. Craig Dawson, um, phenomenal. Spurs did last year. Um, I don't think he had a shot in the game, actually. I think that's the only time he's had that. Uh, there was another team this year. Uh, who was it that, that done a, had a good game against him? I can't remember. Um, Who's the other team they lost against this year? They lost the Wolves. Who else did they lose against? Oh, it was Arsenal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Saliba, you know, done a great job on him. And the defence in, in general done a great job on him. So I do think you can stop him. Um, so, but he is definitely up there, obviously. But as you've seen, if Rodri doesn't play for Man City, that control that Pep wants on and off the ball is massively decreased when he's not there. And it gives teams so much more belief that they can get at you. They can get at Man City. Um, I mean, probably bad time to say this because they conceded four goals the other day with Rodri in the team. But, you know, that was a chaos game of football, John, which can John happen. Stones. It's John Stones. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But um, 
it's um yeah no that can happen that's a chaos game of football that can happen but um I just think that when Rodri doesn't play I think that I think that no matter who plays for Man City teams are always going to be like we have to be on it the entire game because any moment one of them will cut through us and score and whatever it's a pattern of play a bit of like you know whatever it might be um but also what is so defeating is that not only that it feels teams will feel like they can't get at City as well and a lot of that is because Rodri is just so dominant when Rodri doesn't play it does encourage more teams it does give teams more impetus to think we can get at you guys so it's a tough one I, I'm edging towards the goal score again the one that the one that wins most of the games but I don't think you can ignore like how influential Rodri is and the stark difference in man how Man City play when he's there and when he's not there. And also he seems to have that clutch gene as well, where he'll come up with the clutch goals, the clutch moments, to, you know, which isn't, which wasn't really ever supposed to be seen as his job, but he, but he has that in him as well. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to leave that one there and leave you two to decide which one it will be. <laughs> well, Rodri doesn't lose games. Like he doesn't. Yeah, literally matches. doesn't lose games. Yeah. Like it's, was it run back to March, right? Including yeah. international football. Yeah. He lost a football match and, and that speaks volumes. And you know, when he, suffered that spell out the team for the first time flaws were exposed in that Man City setup, and they know how to play without Harlem because they played without a number nine for a while I know the mm. team was changing since yeah, they yeah, yeah. slowly be getting away from that but they do still have goals in this team but they don't as you say have somebody that can dictate play in the same way like maybe if Gundogan was still at the club maybe they wouldn't have this same problem because he's got that level of experience and could see them through but something I spoke to people about when they went through that that bad spell was like, well, there's nobody to come come in with that same Man City nous of managing those periods of a game. Mm. Calvin Phillips can't do it. Kovacic can't do it. Rico Lewis can't do it because they haven't had that exposure to it at that level enough times to understand how you get through an entire match of conducting things and also breaking things up. So it's it's two sides to a game that, that Rodri's absolutely defined. As you say, he even weighs in with big goals too, like he did the other day. And he, he's, he's doing that like pretty regularly now. So I think it's Rodri. I think it's Rodri. I mean, it, it, it does sound stupid because you're like, well, if you've got Haaland, you have got a chance of winning every trophy you're up for grabs for because the guy will score 50 goals a season. But we're seeing that if Rodri's not there, if Rodri goes missing again for Man City this season, there's a chance that this, this title race does genuinely open up more, I think, than if Haaland goes missing. I mean, I, I sat here a couple of weeks ago and said that Rodri should have been on the podium in the Ballon d'Or. So I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm saying anything new to Rank's listeners that I, I think he's the most effective midfielder in the world. And I think, to be honest, the most underrated and that I don't think the team function without him in, in the same way. Mm. And it's, it's, it's not close. The drop-off... And look, we've talked about this all the way through. It's not just about who's the crucial piece if the team's at full strength. It's also about the drop-off behind that player. And I think the drop-off behind Rodri is so much harsher than the drop-off behind yeah. Orlan because Julian Alvarez starts for what, like 14 Premier League sides minimum? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think maybe yeah. more than that. So yeah. that, that's why I would edge towards Rodri as well. But it's it, it's definitely one that's that there's up for debate because if you have a striker of Holland's capability that's scoring this many goals, it feels disingenuous not to include him in the conversation. So I'm glad you brought up yeah. both nonetheless. 
Well, looking at the top five, I've got only two players in the forward line. I'm an absolute disgrace to myself and my beliefs about football. <laughs> I, yeah, can't believe I've done that, but there you go. <laughs> uh, there we have it. Look, I mean, there's a couple of notable omissions in this top five, yeah. Harry. And I just wanted to touch on Manchester United because they currently sit sixth in, in the Premier League. But I was thinking about this as you were saying it, and I was like, I don't know if I could pick out one for Manchester United. And that's actually potentially the real worry in that you're not seeing anyone step up individually at this point to be the person that's counted on a regular basis. And actually, that might explain some of the malaise that currently surrounds the club. I mean, I'd probably say Bruno Fernandes because I think that I don't want to be disrespectful and I've got to be careful how I word it. But if I look at the, the top sides, I think that United just look like they're the team that has the least ideas, the least know-how of what their approach is. You know, I just get the feeling. It's, I, I don't quite know what it is they're trying to work on. So if you don't have any of that, you need one player at least. Surely there's going to be like, well, I'll just do something now then. And I think that Bruno Fernandes at least has that about him, but not consistently enough to win the games as often as they need to. Um, so I'll probably say him, but yeah, I, I'll be honest. I think that... I mean, I think that certainly City, Liverpool, Arsenal, I think Spurs, depending on, again, the injuries, Villa, Newcastle and Chelsea all finish above Manchester United. Um, and that is a that is a big thing to say, but I just don't see, I don't see enough there with them. I don't even, I mean, they're, they're currently seen as the form team in the Premier League in four out of five, four, I think four wins out of five games, but that's not like a real reflection on where they are at all. No. Um, you know, I think that 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 will not be a consistent theme going forward. Um, yeah, I think they're going to drop off even more so. So I will probably say Bruno Fernandes, but I think you're right, Jack. I don't like where where do you even start with them? What 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 is what is what are the ideas? What is what is being worked on? What is you know their, their entire forward line has one goal between them? I think in the Premier League, like one goal, it is just insanity. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of wrap this up, Harry, is there anyone else from across the league that you kind of step out as like a club's MVP this season or just kind of in general that where, yeah. where that player is more important to a club than pretty much anywhere else by such a distance? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the, I mean, one that sticks out right now is the difference that Eze makes for Crystal Palace is just night and day. And I think when Elise comes back to help him and take some of the burden, I know Eze's just returned, but when Elise helps take some of the burden off, um, that's going to be... Uh, major um, I think I think the way teams are being built a lot more now I think managers want to not become as reliant on individual players I think they want their ideas to be in place no matter what a lot of the time so you know if a certain individual player isn't perhaps available um, then it's not always going to be a disaster because again they want the something to be bigger than its parts and i think you're you know compare it to to 15 20 years ago or whatever there were certainly less they certainly le- le- less i'm the man players at clubs so um but they, 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 you know they 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 are still needed in football i wish there was more of them i think they'll come back cuz i think you need those players that can go above um kind of tactics and all that kind of thing um but i think yeah looking at looking at the the, the table right now i think Eze is is the one that is just so vital. Um, I mean, Chelsea, I don't think at them, I think Cole Palmer at Chelsea, to be honest, I would say Cole Palmer for Chelsea because I think he allows the entire attack. I think he glues the attack together. I think he has the the aura of just a, a, a superstar 
Yeah. Um, that will change though when Nkunku comes back as well, who's another kind of yeah, that will help. So that will help. You know, take that I'm l- looking at, yeah, looking at you know the, the relegation places. I'm seeing Bournemouth in 17th. I think Solanke is so important to Bournemouth. I mean, what he does for that forward line. Uh, he scored two at the weekend, but it's he brings so much more to them than that. So yeah, listen. Of course, there's 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 teams that have individual players. Obviously, you know, you guys have lost Mitrovic. I think you're trying to find your your new one that without, you can hang your hat Pelin, on. Without Polina and Bernd Leno. Polina, yeah, of course. Yeah, Polina. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, listen, there, there are, there are, but I think, I, I think team, I think it's harder to, I think it's probably harder nowadays to find those specific plays for each team than it was perhaps if, a few years ago. Is it interesting then that for something like West Ham this summer, who sold what was that obvious piece in Declan Rice and diversified. Now they've brought in, mm. you know, Edson Alvarez, they brought in James Ward-Prowse, they brought in Mohamed Kadouz and a couple of others, you know, for good measure. But those are the three that kind of jump out. And to be able to diversify that attack a little bit and then change the way that the midfield operates to actually deal with things. West Ham, you know, weren't great in the Premier League last year. They obviously went and won the Conference League, which was a massive, massive victory for them in terms of the first European trophy the club for what half a century or so so you're talking about big things but actually I think West Ham look a little bit more balanced now that they might have moved on from that ever-reliant piece of Declan Rice yeah potentially I think their recruitment to replace him has been phenomenal I love I love so much of their team I'd love to get my hands on that as a coach and just work with that um, I think you can do so much there with with their and I think Moyes has always had that people look at Moyes as this old-fashioned you know defend your box and be direct going forward, but he's always his his makeup of his teams has always been so well balanced. He's always made sure there's been um, av- avenues for certain players of magic in that team as well, and you've got that in, in abundance with West Ham. Um, real difference makers. So yeah, I was looking at West Ham, thinking, well, who would I pick out of that? But you know, I think that you could Jared Art- Bowen's probably the the most sensible argument with that. But then I think Kudus is absolutely phenomenal. How other teams in Europe allowed West Ham to get him, I don't know. West Ham are a huge club, but I'm talking like how you know like I'm talking about the, in Barcelona, uh, the the top tier teams, the top top teams, you know, should be all over him. Um, you know, I think Paqueta is incredible. Ward Prowse obviously just keeps coming up with those moments where he, he gets an assist that can get the points. So yeah, I think I think I love watching them play um in terms of you know those players at their best. Um so yeah, I think they've I think they've they've dealt with the Declan Rice departure in terms of squad development really, really well. Well, Harry Thank you so much as ever. It's been a real, real pleasure having you on. Uh, it always is. For those of our listeners who are uninitiated, where can they find you? Yeah, well, I've got a little bit of thing to say as well as actually. I'm sure you guys would be happy for me to say this. Uh, I'm actually currently working with one of your avid ranks listeners uh, in the US. Yeah, he got in touch and uh, wanted my help in terms of mentoring and analysis of his games. Got a 13-year-old lad uh, out in the US. So that's come from you guys. So uh, if anybody that is listening. I think a lot of people think that, you know, just doing what I do is on the pitch coaching and it's not. I do a lot of analysis and mentoring for people, which can be done um, in the UK and overseas and, you know, and hopefully help guide you um, into what it is you're trying to achieve, whether you've got a son or a daughter or, you know, you're a player yourself. Um, and if you are interested in that and you want to get in touch, then my social medias are hbrooks underscore coach. There you go. Right. We can we nice. can attest to the work that Harry does with what we're seeing on the. Oh, you could turn me and Jack into players. What do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> We've been speaking about this about doing a potential session sometime. I think I've got to get you guys down to do a session of mine sometime soon. <laughs> Ranks FC, yeah. Ranks FC vets team. Hey, yeah, feel, 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 feel me. Players in a while. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Harry Brooks, head coach. Thank you so much, Harry. It's always an absolute Cheers, guys. pleasure having you on. We'll be back after the break. Don't go anywhere. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Ranks FC and thank you so much to Harry Brooks as Brilliant as ever. Very, very good from Harry. And do make sure you check out what he's doing on social media and beyond. Dean, I've got something slightly different for Hot Takes this week because I was flicking through Twitter at the weekend and something came up on my timeline from an account called Sammy. Sammy Chels is his name on here. (laughs) And he tweeted, he said, this is the best team in the world right now. And I'm going to take him at kind of literal value. Mm. And he's, t- he's posted a lineup graphic. And I think he's kind of on about form and talent put together. So, okay. you know, it's, it's one of those where, you know, on form, Alex Garcia, who I mentioned at the top, should probably be in the World Eleven right now. But I think it's just sort of general, more kind of more rounded than just form, mm. but definitely form playing a part in it. His Eleven is as follows, because I don't think he's miles off, although it's, it's really generated some, some comments in the, you know, on, on Twitter. So he's gone with Alisson in goal, Teo Hernandez, Ronald Araujo, Virgil van Dijk and Rhys James in the back four. A midfield three of Rodri, Jude Bellingham and Fede Valverde. And a front three of Mbappe, Harry Kane and Mo Salah. And mm. there are certain things I have slight issues with. I think that whilst Reese James was absolutely phenomenal, yeah. well, I thought I whilst Reese James was absolutely phenomenal against Manchester City and deserves all the flowers for that, I think that he's only been back from injury two games and that's probably a lot. So I would probably have Danny Carvajal in there right now with the way that he's been performing for Real Madrid this season. That gluten-free diet really working for Danny Carvajal in the summer. And I think that it's borderline illegal not to have Antoine Griezmann in there considering the form he's been in in 2023. But you knew I was mm. going to say that. But I think it's going to have to change to a 4-2-3-1 to accommodate that. At the moment, it's 4-3-3. So I think I'd have Jude, Bellingham and Rodri behind Griezmann. But apart from that, I am slightly struggling to change things around here. I mean, I think Florian Wirtz is unlucky to miss out, but I don't think he's been quite as effective as Mo Salah this season. I can't really argue with Harry Kane and Kylian Mbappe. Araujo is a bit of a funny one. And I'm Araujo not... is one I, the other defender one I didn't like, to be honest. That's mm. I, I think like probably I... an argument for William Saliba to be in there ahead. Definitely is an argument of, of Araujo. Uh, Araujo. Although I do have Araujo very highly pegged in my sort of top defenders in the world conversation. 
Yeah, but I've seen him have a few, not mares, but uh, a few, a few, a few games where I'm not even at the weekend. Like him and Kunde, I wasn't sure about at all. So on form and talent, yeah, I'd have Saliba. I think it'd be harsh not to have Saliba in there. I mean, we we just spoken about him as you know Arsenal's most important player, and I think that that would be reflective in that. Um, just trying to think if there's Harry Kane. You, you can't argue that at the moment. Given, I mean, the only given... person I think you could have as a as an argument is Sergio Rassi or Lautaro Martinez. But I think that Kane's scoring record speaks for itself at this point. So I'm yeah. quite happy I with mean, him leading the line. I'd always have to throw Haaland in there because he probably is the best. But his standards are so high that we have to mark him against himself and. Probably hasn't quite been there at the moment. So, yeah, anyway, it's Harry Kane. It's He's the best striker in the world at the moment, and, and there's no doubt about it. But, yeah, it's a good lineup. It's a, it's, it's a good it's a good effort. Is this your new thing now? You're going to find, like, tweet of the week, and then I we're going to... Different ways of mixing things up, right? Just seeing, seeing new <laughs> things. We've got some hot takes from the rank squad. I thought this one clearly caused a stir on social media, so I thought it might be worth us discussing it. No, it's a good tweet. It's a good tweet. It's a good idea. It's the sort of thing we should have come up with in the first place. Mm, but no, it's um, it's it's a good one, and I and I enjoyed it. So I, I thought I'd give out some flowers to Sammy Chels, um, and also have a little discussion around his team. But yeah, I think he's maybe three players off this being spot on. So that's not Mate, bad going. I tell you what, what about your chances? Because you let slip uh, this morning to me that you picked up an award at five-a-side football this week. Does yeah. this mean that, you, that you're on a comeback trail? Yeah, end of the season awards at five-a-side football. Shouts out to all the five-a-side crew. I know some of the boys listen to this. Um, yeah, well, most improved player. Into my 30s, and I've won a most oh. improved award. The last award I won that was most improved was an under-14 football. Oh. It's been a long 16 years. Are now. you proud of this I'm award? Are you yeah, proud? I'm pretty pleased with or myself. does it mean you were rubbish like last time you played with them or last season? No, I, I think it's more kind of like when I when I sort of kicked in to begin with, I wasn't quite sure. I hadn't played five-a-side for a while. You know, after BR closed down, that was our regular five-a-side thing. So I was struggling well, yeah. for games. I don't think I've played since. A bit, you know, a bit <laughs> rusty. And I think, you know, I've come back to form this season. I'm feeling pretty confident, feeling pretty good, you know, having some some nice touches again. It's good to be playing football again. And we've actually finished for the winter break now. So hopefully yeah, it's too cold for you, it lads, will return, it? It'll return sort of January, February time. But yeah, so what's just, the future aspirations? Yeah, well, like, well, MVP award was was given out um, to Sean Holland Walsh, so it was a good thing for him. He and Holland, yeah, his, his nickname is Holland. He's um, so that's that's that it. Good? He won MVP, um, <laughs> but it, you know, you never know. I'm looking, maybe looking at that next year. It was handed off from uh, former MVP Jack Lewis, who I know is a listener to the podcast. So yeah, it was it was lots of fun. I had an award ceremony after the after our five side last night was pleased to pick up some silverware, just something else for the cabinet, you know? Yeah, where is it? Where have you got it in there? Is it's it, up to it next to my uh, golf trophy. You know, the, uh, oh, God. What a life, mate. the RPI trophy. So. Man, there's so many talents. Honestly, it's um, the, the trophy cabinet is getting a bit full right now. So we've never got really one for complain. this podcast, though, have we? No, we've never won an award. We should we should probably have uh, <laughs> entered have ourselves entered into some. some awards. But alas, yeah. here we are. It's something we've left behind. Um, but yes, on that bombshell, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to uh, all my five side man for, for giving me the award last night. It's a real honour and a pleasure. I'd thank my mum. Um, <laughs> thank you very much to head coach Harry Brooks for joining us in that main segment and all his brilliant analysis as ever. Thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. 
Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts, most improved West London Fiverr side. 22-23. Thank you so much for listening. All of you, I really appreciate it as ever. We will be back next week talking all things international break. It's very exciting time to be in. Thanks so much for listening. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.